Father, thank you. Thank you for gathering us here this morning. Thank you for the body of Christ. And I ask, Father God, specifically that the children downstairs would be filled with the good news of our risen Savior. I ask, Father God, that the teachers and the helpers would be blessed of you, honor what goes on downstairs. And I ask, Father God, that you would also honor what goes on upstairs, that you would be glorified, that you would use this time to bring us into a new place, a deeper walk with you. It would be, we would be more like your son. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Children, you may make your way downstairs. Quietly and orderly. Yeah, right. <laughs> we live in some interesting times. Um, I, I'm sure that none of you have paid any attention to the current events. The reality is that God's people have always been persecuted and, and we're seeing some things change in our society. And we need to recognize that persecution is, has always been there. As a matter of fact, persecution goes back clear into Genesis. If you look as far back as Cain and Abel, there was persecution. Abel was persecuted by his brother because he worshipped God in an acceptable way. The real issue between the brothers was one of proper worship. The history of God's people is one of persecution and conflict with the worldly system. It's been all through church history, and it continues. There are some examples in, our, in, in, in human history of the persecutions, like, like Nero. Nero actually dipped Christians into tar and used them as human torches to illuminate his wicked parties. He also threw Christians uh, to the dogs and wild animals for entertainment. The, the emperor Domitian, he, he cruelly killed Christians and afflicted believers with extremely harsh treatment. Diocletian, he executed and tortured believers by the thousands, and he destroyed churches. And these are Roman examples, and, and eventually that Roman persecution did come to somewhat of an end. But the church has endured persecution throughout history. The church has also endured some of history's most horrible episodes. For example, the church in, in Europe survived the plague. A third of the population of Europe died. The church remained steadfast. How about in the United States? 750,000 people died during the Civil War here in this country. And the economy of the, the South was nearly totally destroyed, but the church continued and was strong. The church endured the, the massive destruction of World War I. And World War I is, the, is kind of unique because this is where we see the first use of weapons of mass destructions. As a matter of fact, I, I have a great uncle who was gassed in France, devastating his health for the rest of his life. He was one of the few that was gassed and he survived. 
The church endured that. The church persisted through the the intensity of World War II. 75 million people died. The church remained strong. We're living in, in a time of increasing intolerance for biblical Christianity. You've seen that. I know you have. And this kind of hostility, the, the persecution and hostility should not surprise us because Jesus told us, John fifteen twenty. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecution is going to be around us. It's just there. And persecution for believers should intensify our resolve to live faithful to Christ, even in the middle of a hostile world. And that world is watching us. And how we handle persecution is incredibly important. Christianity endures. There have been great times of disillusionment. And there was disillusionment in the, uh, for the people of God even before the church. Before Jesus was crucified, he comes into, into Jerusalem. And his followers were certain that, that he would destroy the Roman, Roman rule and, and Israel would be set free from, from Rome. Jesus refused to overthrow Rome. And there was a great disillusionment. And the people cried, crucify him. It was all by God's plan. After the resurrection, as the church age began, there, this same kind of disillusionment occurred and, and has been present all through the, the history of the church. And where that really goes is, if Jesus is truly the Messiah, why doesn't he end the tyrannical governments that have plagued humanity and oppose God's people? Why doesn't God intervene? And we often think that way, and I, I, I sense that as we look at the, the circumstances that we live in, in the society of today, we want God to intervene. We want Him to destroy the enemies of the cross, and we want Him to be, bring healing and peace. That's our desire. But God has a plan. And that plan of destroying His, his enemies will ultimately come his judgment to all uh, judgment upon all who oppose him it will come but god has a plan and that plan is for that judgment to be in the future for now god allows the wicked to continue and he often uses the wicked for his purposes something that is very difficult for us to understand we cannot understand all of god's plan There's a great deal of his plan that involves you and I, believers, the church. I love the church. I really do. Not not just FBC. I love the church, the universal church, all believers. I love studying the church. I love watching the church work and, and grow and influence society. I love also how the church has endured Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I tell you, Peter, 
You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this is true of the church. It is invincible. To me, the church is the most awesome thing on this planet. I am amazed at the indestructibleness, that indestructible quality of the assembly of those called out by God. I've experienced this in several ways. One of the most astonishing to me was when Emily and I had opportunity to do a short-term missions trip behind the Iron Curtain. We went into East Germany. It's a fascinating story sometime. I love to tell stories. I won't go into details. I believe in angels, and I also believe that angels can take on the appearance of punk rockers. Ask me sometime, I'll tell you. It was punk rockers that allowed us to get into Germany with a car full of illegal Christian material. We didn't even bother to hide it. There was too much. Books and tapes and all kinds of materials for the church. We didn't even try to hide it. But without those punk rockers, it was amazing. The other thing about that trip was that here is a church with a problem. We got to minister to a church that had a massive problem. The massive problem really wasn't that they were oppressed and persecuted. They had leadership that just disappeared. One of their leaders was a concert pianist. And the government crushed both his hands and said, no more. Well, of course, he kept he kept preaching the word, kept leading the church, and then he disappeared, and nobody's ever seen him. That was that kind of persecution. But that's not the problem that I observed. The problem that this church had in East Germany was they kept outgrowing their space. One of the Sunday morning services we were there was in this, this room, um, kind of an assembly hall kind of thing. It was kind of awkward to be at a church, but they'd only been in there a couple of weeks and everybody came to church. Every single seat was filled and there were people, most of them were men, who gave up their seats for women and there was standing room only in this, this room. The church kept growing so fast, they would find a place and they'd go, okay, this is bigger. They would move in it and, and maybe in, a, in, in less than two weeks, they would outgrow it. That was their problem. The church was booming. It was growing rapidly. People were coming to Christ and people were dedicated to the things of God. That was their biggest problem. They didn't recognize persecution as their big problem. I love the church. I think it's amazing what the church is and how God watches over it. And as you know, we are living in a time of extreme political, societal upheaval and turmoil. And, and we want to see God intervene, right? I mean, I'd love to just see God come in and go and take care of it. Wouldn't you? Well, God does have a plan, and He does intervene. We want to see God, God answer our prayers, and, he, and we want to see God's answer to world problems. 
And I believe with all my heart that God's answer to the, the upheaval in our society and the world politics and all the turmoil is strong churches. I have seen this firsthand. I saw it in, in East Germany. I've seen it in Central America. And I've seen it in India. The strong church is what God's answer is for the, the destruction and the deterioration of our society. God's answer is a strong church. And, and I have an intense passion for FBC to be a strong church. Stronger than ever. We need to be strong. So... I keep saying strong church. What, what is a strong church? So when we start to analyze what a strong church is, the first place we need to go, the first component of a strong church, a strong local church and strong universal church, is that we remember that the church is God's design. This isn't something man came up with. God designed the church, and Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is the head of the church. He is the master. Jesus reigns supremely over the church. It is his. We got to start there. I believe after that, there are three major elements of an invincible church. There's more than these three, but these are the three that are really the prominent ones, and you could have subheadings under them. These are the three that I think are major elements of a church that is indestructible. And the first one is that the church, a local assembly of believers called out by God, is that the foundation of the church is Scripture. We cannot get away from the Word of God. We, we quote a, a verse from 2 Timothy. It's, it's quite well known to believers. Beginning in chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. For this church to be strong, we've got to rest on scripture. The Bible is truth. It is inerrant, meaning every word in every part of its handwritten original is without error. There are no errors. Scripture is without error because it was written by the Holy Spirit. We learn from Scripture. We learn that God is sovereign. And we learn of His power. We know from the Bible God's reason for creating us. We learn of his unique love for each one of us. From, from scripture, we learn of God's mercy and grace and how God deals with all of humanity. Scripture teaches God's perfect love, his perfect holiness, perfect justice, and his perfect wrath. We know from the Bible that God has given us life and that he is the sustainer of life. We know from the Bible that it has the power to transform the believer's heart. Many of us who are believers can look at what God has done through his word and changed us from what we were to what we are now. Changing us into the image of his son. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. 
So powerful is God's word that it, it, it can discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart and change those and transform each one of us. God's desire is to redeem people, to give them access to him. And to do this, he gave us Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. He gave us his word and the power of his his spoken truth. And he gave us the church. The believer is saved by the power of God's word. Every one of us has been saved by His Word. 1 Peter 1.23 tells us, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. It's the Word that saves. We are changed by the power of Scripture. John 15.3, Already you are clean because of the Word that I have spoken to you. The Bible has such power. Meditating on the teachings of Scripture causes us to prosper spiritually. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God's Word has power to influence our everyday life. Paul also teaches us in Ephesians chapter 6 that the Bible is the greatest weapon against our primary adversary, the devil. We also learn that the power of God's word will never end. Isaiah 48. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God's word is truth. Truth is eternal. It never changes. It's not manipulated. It's God's truth. It will never end. The invincible church then prioritizes the word, lives by the word, exalts God's word. And to depart from biblical preaching and teaching brings sickness, decline, and death to a church. And we have witnessed that. There are movements of God that at one time were healthy and were vibrant and they have died. And the reason they have died, the principal reason is that they have removed themselves from God's truth. And they no longer preach the word of God. We need the word to be strong. The second element of a strong church is strong leadership. And again, I saw, I saw the leadership in, in um, East Germany, and I've, I've seen the leadership in India. I've, I've seen strong leadership, and, and this, is, this is such a good and, and incredibly important component of a strong church. God designed the leadership structure of the church. So we need to do it his way. And that design is a leadership of plurality of elders. The repeated New Testament pattern is each local body of believers being governed by a plurality of elders. 
Paul instructed Titus this way, uh, Titus 1.5, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. In Acts 14.23, when they had appointed elders, this is Paul and Barnabas, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. God's system is a plurality of elders. Everywhere in the New Testament, the term presbyteros, which we translate elders, is plural, with a couple of exceptions. John uses it in the singular um, of himself in Second and Third John, and Peter uses it of himself in First Peter five one. Everywhere else, it's plural. There's a plurality of elders. There's never a New Testament example, never a New Testament reference to a one pastor or one elder church. There's no congregation that's just led by one man. In the New Testament, there's some terms that are used for the same office. Elder, the English terms would be elder, overseer, pastor. And they all refer to the same office. This means different terms are used to identify men who have different roles in leadership, but all are elders and are subject to the same qualifications that Paul gives in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We see these terms used interchangeably. Um, For example, Luke uses them interchangeably in Acts 20. Peter uses all three terms. I like this passage in 1 Peter 5 because you see all three terms used. Beginning in in chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. All three terms are used in that passage for the same position. The different terms indicate various features of ministry, different roles, not varying levels of authority or separate offices. So in this strong leadership that God has designed, the specific elders' responsibilities are to serve as the managers and caretakers of the church. This this involves determining church policy. Acts 15.22, overseeing the church. Acts 20.28, ordaining other leaders, 1 Timothy 4.4. Ruling, teaching, and preaching, 1 Timothy 5.17. Instructing and rebuking, Titus 1.9. And shepherding the flock, as we saw in 1 Peter 5. According to Ephesians, There's some specific responsibilities of a pastor. So a pastor has all of those those responsibilities as an elder, but there's also a unique position of pastor. So I'm going to talk some about what I do. According to Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, the primary responsibility of a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. 
So, so my job description really is to, to help you all be the body of Christ, be healthy, so that you can go do ministry. Very often, especially in, in the system that we have in the United States and in Western Christianity, is that the, the pastoral staff goes and does everything. And the rest of the body of Christ watches. And that's not the design that God has. That's not what Paul was talking about. The pastoral staff's responsibility is to prepare all of you and grow all of you to a place where you go out and you do ministry, whatever that ministry looks like, so that the body of Christ is built up. As the apostolic era came to a close, this position of pastor-teacher emerged as a unique leader, but that leadership was within the plurality of the elders. There's a plurality here. There's, there's different roles. And I like to talk to the elders sometimes, and I'll go, Hey, hey, Robert. Robert's not here, so I'll pick on him. You want to, pe- you want to preach this week? And, and there's this panic. <laughs> Robert's not... That's not his role. He's an elder. And there's a way that Robert teaches, and I've watched him do that. There's some real good things that that God does through Robert, but he's not gifted to stand up here and preach. There's times I'd rather not do this. There's times I'd like to, to go back to farming, tilling the soil. I'd like to I'd like to go back out and do my fall plowing and get the soil ready and put the seeds in the ground and watch the plants come up and hope and pray that the hail doesn't come and, and do all of those things of farming. I really enjoyed that part of my life. But God said, there's something different I want to do with you. And now my role as pastor is to see each one of you grow. To see each one of you become passionate about who you are in Christ. And it's, it's a part of my passion to see a strong church with elders who are, changed, who are charged with this same idea of, of care and feeding and, and bringing health to the body of Christ. Spiritual guidance and, and oversight. I want us to be strong. I mean so much to me. And it should be to you as well. We're going through a time of selecting new, new elders. And, and God has brought us some, some really neat men. We need to be praying for that process. We need to be praying for Zeke. Zeke's an amazing man. He's a good man. He's a good elder. And if you don't know, he's in the hospital. He's got some damage to some heart valves. He's got some complicated health issues right now. Pray for our brother that God would heal him. We need him. The body of Christ needs him. Pray for him. He's one of your leaders. We need strong leadership to be a strong church. The third distinctive of a strong church is covenant relationships of each member, each believer each believer in the church serving one another. 
Paul uses the metaphor of the human body to describe the church in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and Romans 12. Here's, this is from 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink from one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. Paul also wrote in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God created each one of us with unique abilities, and he's created us with unique purpose within the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ, the church. The church isn't this building. You're the church. You're the body. And, the, and for us to be strong and, and have this, this strength of invincibility is for the body of Christ to serve one another. This is how we make an impact for his kingdom. The church is people. Individual believers connected like brothers and sisters. Connected like various parts of your body. Each part serving so that the entire body, the entire family is strengthened, encouraged and matured into the image of Christ. Each believer is to serve. Serve to to glorify God. It's one of our motivations. There's other motivations for serving in the church. And I think we overlook them and and we set this idea of serving aside. But here's some motivations that come from Scripture. One of those motivations is that God gives those who serve His kingdom. Because you've got to be a believer to serve. In the capacity in the church, you serve. So Hebrews 12, 28. We serve because... God's giving us His kingdom. We are motivated because we are supplying the needs of Lord's people. We are supplying the needs to the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 9.12 We serve to cause others to praise and glorify God. If we're not about glorifying God, then why are we here? 2 Corinthians 9.13 For FBC to be strong, we must deeply be committed to these three principles. We need to be passionately committed to the Word. Passionately committed to having a plurality of elder-led leaders that serve. And we need to be passionate about serving one another. We're in a very important time as a church We are in the process of raising up new leaders, new elders. There's going to be much more information about this process in the next few weeks. God has already identified some amazing men who are willing to serve as leaders at FBC. It's really been pretty neat as I've worked with these guys. They're willing to serve. It's a hard place to be at. To serve as an elder, they're willing to serve. As the believers gathered 
that call ourselves First Baptist Church, we have the responsibility to pray earnestly for these men and pray for the process of recognizing them as elders, that we would be directed by our Lord and King, the head of the church. As the believers gathered at FBC, we also have the responsibility to serve, to commit ourselves to the body of Christ. In those places I've told you about, that in my travels and, and ministry around the world, the body of Christ, the, the individual believers serving one another, that was huge in the success and the strength and the power of the church. We need to be committed to serving the body. Service from each believer is vital to the strength of the church. There are some ways that you can, you can be a part of this church. You can be a part of FBC. And you can be part of the strength. You can be a part of what God is doing through FBC. Here's some ways. The first one, this should be, this should be a no-brainer. This should be the one that everybody goes, yeah. That's the most important. This is the one I can do. I can get on my knees right now and do this every day. I can do it all during the day. I can do it anywhere I'm at. And of course, I'm talking about prayer. This is the highest priority for us as far as ministering to one another is prayer. Being a prayer warrior, consistently, passionately praying for FBC, praying for the leadership praying for ministries, praying for our impact in this community. You and I, we can pray. Prayer works. Some other ways that you can be a part of the ministry of FBC. You can, you can join the, the, the ministry, uh, the, the worship ministry. You can sing, play instruments. Uh, you, you can work with our tech team. I think these guys are wonderful. They, they do a lot of sacrifice for us on Sunday mornings. Thank you, guys. Be a part of that. We stream. We have people all over that are watching our service and, and connect with us because we stream our services. Be a part of the technology. Be a part of the music. Be a part of, of that worship on Sunday mornings. We don't really have ushers and greeters. I think we should. Maybe that's something you'd like to do. Stand at the door and greet people and, and help them understand that they're wanted and needed and loved. Maybe they need a help finding some place to sit. Be an usher or a greeter. You can help with the youth ministry. There's a variety of ways that you could help with the youth ministry. Do you realize what God has done this year with the youth ministry? Back in the spring, they had nights when there were 90 kids in this room. Hearing the gospel, hearing the truth about Jesus and the word. And there's been lots of those young people who have come to Christ. That's huge. The majority of those kids on Wednesday nights that, that come, they aren't church. They don't know Jesus. This is a part of what FBC has done. It's a ministry and it needs lots of help. It needs prayer. You could, you, could be, you could get yourself involved in that and be a leader. You could be a mentor. You could be a teacher. Or you could prepare food for them. 
There's a lot of ways you can be involved in that youth ministry and watch the next generation get saved. How exciting is that? Maybe not as exciting, but you could, you could help the body of Christ by being a part of, of maintaining our facilities. We, we need people who are willing to, to help fix stuff. We had, a, we had a flood in the office this week. It rained so hard and it came down the side of the, the office and the, it, just, it was like just flowing like a river into the office. The door needs to be fixed. Yeah, I love you, brother. <laughs> oh, to have that kind of energy and not hurt. You could be a part of that ministry. Helping set up, helping maintain. You could teach Sunday school class. Any age. Any age group. You could, you could teach. You could host a small group. You could teach at a small group. You could volunteer in the nursery. That's a tough one for me. In one of the churches that Emily and I belong to, if you had little kids... It was mandatory for you to sign up for two weekends a year with your kids in the nursery. I'm good with little kids like that age for about 10 minutes. And then insanity just takes over. Give me middle school and high schoolers. I'm good. Nursery is important. We need volunteers there. We need volunteers in Sunday school. You can organize or participate outreaches to the lost in Douglas. You can participate in short-term missions trip. You can go on them. You can pray for them. You can help financially. You can provide food for families and individuals in crisis. You can serve with the missions ministry helping to to determine how we work with those missions around the world and locally and regionally. You can visit people in the hospital when the hospitals allow us to do that. And you can minister to those who are sick and ill at their homes. You You could send encouraging messages by card, email, text, or phone messages. There's a variety of ways you can encourage and and, and be a part of, of the people of God. Reality is we are in this together. And as we watch the deterioration of our society, this church is going to be strong. And it can only be strong if we are in the Word, we have good leadership, and if we serve one another. That's God's answer to what's happening around us. I urge you, if you're not serving in an area of FBC, you should be. Grab somebody and say, where can I serve? Go, go jump in. I don't know. You'll know. God will use you. We're in this together. And we're in this together to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's passionately work together to make FBC incredibly, incredibly strong. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you, Father God, that you have called us and you've left us here on this planet to serve, to glorify you, and to make your kingdom look great and magnificent. 
I ask, Father God, that you'd stir us up to desire the church to be strong. Remind us of how we pray. Influence us to serve. And remind us of the power of your word. Thank you, Father, for the church. Thank you for FBC. Use us, Father God, to the glory of your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.